Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I'm J.P. Hornstra of the Southern California News Group. Gavin Stone is a major league pitcher. Dodgers are in San Diego as I speak with first place on the line. Anybody heading down to Petco Park this weekend? Get your gas lamp on. That should be a fun series. Sean Green will be joining me later this episode to talk about just that, getting a little hype going. It's an easy series to hype. This is one that you probably circled on the calendar. I know Dave Roberts circled it because he shuffled the rotation (laughs) just to line up his three best pitchers to pitch in this series. For my column this week for the Southern California News Group, I dug into the psychology of the pitch clock and how pitchers are adapting to baseball's new pace of play. The short answer, subconsciously. Uh, I didn't have a chance to speak with Alex Vesia after he pitched Tuesday night, probably because he was in the manager's office getting option to AAA. But he is the poster child for a slow-working pitcher who has struggled in the pitch clock era. The problem with drawing a straight line from the pitch clock to Vesia's 7.84 ERA is that it isn't always the slowest pitchers who struggle with the pitch clock. I talked to one of them. I won't tell you who. You got to read the column. Put the link in the show notes. But I wanted to bring up Vesia because it seems like the Dodgers bullpen is and the rotation took a big step forward this week. And I don't know if Vezia's problem was so much that he was feeling rushed as much as he just left way too many fastballs down the middle of the plate and his slider was purely a chase pitch, not a pitch he could throw for a strike with consistency. Now, could that be a function of being rushed? Maybe. Sounds more like a command thing to me. Not the Dodgers' problem in the moment. I know he got roughed up in his AAA debut, and you feel for the guy because he was a pretty good pitcher the last two seasons. Well, up until Game 4 of the Division Series last year against the Padres. He's a San Diego guy. You know he wanted revenge, so hopefully he goes down and gets things straightened out. On the other end of the spectrum, Max Muncy, Major League leading 12 home runs, including a walk-off Grand Slam against the Phillies. That came on Wednesday against old friend Craig Kimbrell. If you're still calling him an old friend, my advice to you, let it go. Max Muncy enters this weekend against the Padres with 12 home runs. He also leads the majors in slugging percentage. He is third in OPS And all of this despite missing three games while on paternity leave. I have a feeling Max Muncy and paternity leave 
will come up in my conversation with Sean. Only one player has more walks this season than Max Muncie, and he will actually be in the other dugout this weekend. That's Juan Soto. I know from watching Soto that his plate discipline is tremendous, but I'm hoping the Dodgers will throw him some strikes because right now he's slugging 427, very pedestrian, hitting 227, which is below pedestrian. There is very little danger in throwing Juan Soto a strike right now. As an aside, isn't Juan Soto one of those names that just begs you to say the first and last name every time? I had this pointed out to me many, many years ago. I'm going to date myself. Just roll with me. A Norman Shad column about Jeff George, who was the Raiders quarterback at the time. It seemed like he was never Jeff. He was never George. He was always Jeff George. Juan Soto, same thing. It just rolls off the tongue like one word. Juan Soto. Like it's a Japanese phrase for something delightful. Walks, I don't know. One other thing to note. After Sean and I recorded, the Padres shuffled their rotation. So you Darvish is now pitching Friday, Blake Snell on Saturday, and Joe Musgrove is pitching Sunday. That completely ruins the ESPN hype email that went out to the media this week touting a Noah Syndergaard-Blake Snell matchup on Sunday night. It'll be Julio Arias versus Joe Musgrove now. Sean and I got into the whole idea of flipping the rotation around too. Lastly, before I bring on Sean, I wanted to mention that it has been a very interesting week plus for old friends. Kevin Quackenbush, remember him? He signed with the Long Island Ducks to keep his career going. Former Dodger, former Padre. Brock Stewart, remember him? He got called up by the Twins and is pitching high leverage relief innings with some success after having had Tommy John surgery not too long ago. Willie Calhoun, remember him? Yeah, he's the Yankees cleanup hitter, at least briefly. Trevor Bauer, remember him? He pissed off one of his teammates in Japan. Surprise, surprise. Nathan Eovaldi, remember him? He threw the first complete game shutout of this season for the Texas Rangers. Brett Eibner, briefly a Dodger. He retired. Drew Maggi, made his major league debut with the Pittsburgh Pirates at the ripe young age of 33. He was in the Dodgers system in 2016 and 2017, topped out at AAA. Drew Maggi showed that there is still time for those of us born in the 1980s to make our debuts. And that is the little shred of hope that I needed to get me through this week. All right, let's take a brief break. I'll bring on Sean. And now I'm pleased to welcome back Sean Green. Sean, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. We are speaking on the occasion of the Dodgers' longest winning streak of the season. It is up to six games after they swept an entire homestand against the Cardinals and the Phillies. Uh, Two pretty good teams uh, historically and last year, and the Dodgers made it look easy. Uh, the margin of victory, other than a one nothing Clayton Kershaw shutout win, was not close in, in the other five games. And this one seems to me pretty simple. If you, if you get Mookie Betts and Max Muncy and Bruce Dargraderall and Evan Phillips all off of the paternity list at the same time, and 
Will Smith comes off the concussion IL basically like all within a week of each other, you're probably going to be a little bit better team than you were before that. Um, I don't know what you're seeing out there, but to me that one seems like a pretty straightforward reason for rattling off six straight wins. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they're crucial pieces to this ball club. And, and I think one thing that most people wouldn't argue that this, this year's Dodger team doesn't have the same depth um, that the, you know, last several years have had. And there's, there's, you, you lose one or two key guys. It's, uh, it could be pretty tough to, to stay hot or to get hot as a team. But when you lose four or five, it's, and it's, it's nearly impossible. So the fact that they were kind of hanging around 500, um, you know, prior is, is actually probably um, a positive. And, and, of course, when they all come back, it, it is hard to miss a few games and to be hot at the plate especially. Um, but, you know, they've they've done a good job and, and are, are putting a lot of runs on the board. And I think a little home cooking doesn't hurt either to get to get to play in front of your your home fans and, and against teams that, you know, there's a lot of history with, you know, a lot of postseason you know, clashes over the last, you know, 15 years or so between the, the Cardinals and Phillies and Dodgers. Um, so it's it nice to see them step up and, and uh, set the tone, um, assuming that those two teams and you know, kind of get back on track and have good seasons and, and maybe meet again in October. Well, speaking of postseason clashes, the Dodgers are going to face the San Diego Padres this weekend in San Diego. The Padres will have Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, and Blake Snell on the mound for those games. And the Dodgers lined up Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, and Julio Urias to start those games. It's not really a controversy at all there. I, you can see the logic. Uh, but it's interesting to me that they shuffled the rotation intentionally, skipping Noah Syndergaard, giving Clayton Kershaw the extra day, giving Dustin May two extra days. I mean, strategically, I guess I could be convinced that you don't need to do that in the first week of May, but from a fan standpoint, you want those to be three really good baseball games, and to me, just lining up your three best pitchers increases the chances of that. Yeah, I think it's important, and this is a different start to the season than we've seen in a while. I mean, the Dodgers are back on top of in the West, but at the same time, it's not, you know, they're just just above... 500. They just got above 500, you know, recently, and it's not. It's not like they're, you know, showing what like the, the Devil Rays or Tampa Bay Rays are, are doing and, and have some crazy record. And so, I think when you're playing against a team that knocked you out of the postseason, that made some some big moves in the off season, and you know the Padres got off to you know a very mediocre start as well, subpar by their expectations. So, um, it actually is. I think more of a crucial series than you normally would see this early in the season because both teams have sort of under underperformed and and you know you want to kind of right the ship but also knock that other you know likely likely opponent you know come late September and you want to knock them back a, a couple pegs if you can. Yeah, uh, the Rays are off to uh, twenty six and six start to the season uh that that's the kind of thing that happens about once maybe every 30 years in baseball history if you, if you go back very rare uh the dodgers are in first place in the national league west thanks to this six game winning streak the padres are third but only two games back 
for me personally, like I really haven't looked at the standings much at all until maybe this week. I I don't know how it was for you as a player. I don't know how it is for you just in general thinking about when it is safe to look at the standings and, and assign any meaning to how the teams line up. But you know, does it feel safe to you, Sean, to put some stock into where the teams are now today as we speak on May 4th? You know, I, I'm with you. I think it's it's really early. I, I hate when people extrapolate both team and individual statistics after a month of the season and people do it after a week. It's, it's crazy. Oh, this guy's on pace to hit, you know, 500 home runs or whatever. It is. I mean, so it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. But on the flip side, I would say, you know, it also depends who's in your division, who's the team that's like jumping out ahead or falling behind. Um, you know, back when I was in Toronto and you got, if you get the Yankees off to, a great start, you know, in the late nineties when they were dominant, then it's, it's pretty like, you know, it's pretty demoralizing knowing here, here we go again. So I think there is, there is something to that. Um, but, you know, the key is to not get too far behind it just to be in the mix. And, you know, especially a team like the Dodgers, if they need something at the trade deadline, they're going to go out and get it. But, you know, I always felt that I think we talked about this on a, on a prior podcast, but, I think the key to the first third of the season is to kind of set the narrative of who you are as a team. And that's, mm. um, I think that's, it's really crucial. And, and I've done, it's almost like the storyline changes from year to year. And it's, it's like one year it's, oh, we have trouble with getting guys in from third base with less than two outs. And we just got to get those two or three runs. Another year it's our, our bullpen's rock solid. The next year it's our bullpen struggles. And we got to score more runs. And so there's always this, and, and that narrative tends to play out as the season goes on. I think not only because you're living it every day, but, you know, the media grabs onto those stories. The fans will moan, like, oh, when, you know, they feel something happening that's kind of been happening, you know, consistently. And as players, you get on, you get a guy on third base, and if the narratives, we struggle to get these guys in, you press a little bit more. So I think those things start to take on a life of their own. So I think that is more important than anything, assuming, you know, you don't fall, you know, five or six games back after a month into the season. Yeah, you talk about the media latching onto a narrative. I saw the Yankees general manager, Brian Cashman, gave a press conference the other day, essentially saying, like, don't count us out. And I'm looking at the standings. This might have been what prompted me to look at the standings for the first time all year. There are two games over 500, as we record here on Thursday, but they're in last place in the American League East because the Rays are off to this super hot start. The Yankees are nine games back, and the general manager has to come out and say, yeah, don't count us out. But uh, if the Yankees were in any other division, they'd, they'd be in second place in two of the six divisions. And in the National League West, they'd basically be tied with the Padres for third. It just goes to show you, like what you were saying, like it's really easy to kind of spin that narrative however you want and, and it really does depend a lot on the teams around you and, and who you're fighting to get into the playoffs against. Yeah. I mean, that, that AL East is crazy, but, um, yeah. and, and that's the thing is when you have, when you have five good teams in a division and I mean, the, the NL West is kind of getting close to that. You have, the, you know, the Rockies tend to be pretty far behind the giants kind of are, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get right now. And sometimes, you know, a couple of years ago they had this amazing year and they fell back. So you start with, but, 
you know, when anyone could beat anyone, I think those leads change a little bit. Those, you know, Tampa Bay's got a four and a half game lead right now. Um, and Yankees are nine back, but you know, they start beating each other up and all of a sudden you throw together a seven or eight game win streak or what the Dodgers are doing, a six game win streak. Then you're right back in the mix. All of a sudden you're, you find yourself, you know, three or four games out. And that's the thing is it's, it's so early and it's so much of it. And you look at some of these teams, like, was it, I don't know if it was last year or the year before when St. Louis rattled off like 20 wins. What was it 20 straight wins? Was that St. Louis? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> Someone rattled off a bunch of wins. They got short yeah. of the whatever it was, or like some crazy. And then, you know, they go in the playoffs hot. Like the best thing is to get really hot the in September and to get that mojo where you're feeling it and be right in the hunt. And all of a sudden you can win your division by five or six games, even if you're tied going into September, and then you roll into the playoffs, the hottest team in baseball. And that's that's the best case scenario in my opinion yeah yeah i agree and i i think the imbalance or the rebalanced schedule the newly balanced schedule is kind of throwing a monkey wrench into the equation where if you're in a weak division uh you know you, you can't hide it um and if you're in a really strong division you're, you're not going to have that bottom dwelling team to beat up on and you're right like all five al east teams being over 500 not doing the Yankees any favors right now. And, you know, with the Dodgers specifically, yeah, they've got the Rockies there, but the Diamondbacks are looking pretty good this year. And the Padres, even, you know, quote-unquote underachieving, they're still two games over 500 right in the hunt. Um, the Giants aren't so far out of it that you can write them off for sure. So I wonder how that's going to play out as the season goes along. Um Clearly, the Dodgers are still placing importance on these interdivision games. I get that, um, but there's going to be more more out of division games, and and we'll see how that plays out. I'm interested to see it. Yeah, me too. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Dodgers are are shifting the rotation a little bit to get their best guys going. Is you're not playing you're not playing the Padres 19 times anymore. Right. right? You still. I mean, you still look at like back to the AL East, you're still beating up on each other, like the times you are playing. So it, it, there is, you know, a, a component to that, but it's not, it's definitely not as, as weighted as it used to be. So, um, yeah, I mean, but when you got three to five good teams in the division, it's, you know, each team is, they're going to be jockeying all year. Someone's going to get hot and rattle off six or seven straight wins like the Dodgers just did and jump from, mm-hmm you know, kind of lower in the pack to to be in the the division leader. Yeah. Well, I wanted to touch on the great paternity list exodus because doing a little research into this, I realized that the paternity list did not exist during your playing career, Sean. And that seems hard to imagine that teams would not grant their players uh, days off um, and I realize it's a league thing. It's collectively bargained uh, that the players are able to get three days. Uh, but how did that work during your playing career? Like, could players ask and request for the time off, and was it generally granted to them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was – so I had one one daughter born in the offseason. The other was born in, in uh, late August and when I was with the Diamondbacks. And uh, so we had a – I was living still in Southern California, or she was born in Southern California, so – you know, and my wife would kind of go back and forth um, when I was on the road. She'd come back here, 
and she was we she was induced on a Friday, I think it was, and so I had a game. Um, actually, she was induced Saturday morning, so I had, I played Friday night, and you know I was hoping to go back for a couple of days, uh, actually to miss the whole series because then the next we had a day off Monday and then we were playing in San Diego, so I could be in home at home for like mm. a whole week but they made me fly back to play the last game. So I guess it was a Thursday, whatever it was, but I, I had to fly back to play Sunday's game um, and then come right back with a team to Southern California to play against the Padres. Um, so it was kind of, it's kind of a strange thing. Like I had a really stretch to get two games from them. I think usually it's like the one game that your child is born, you'll, they'll give you off. Um, but every, every team was kind of different and, Actually, I, after the fact, I was happy because I had a grand slam the game I came back and <laughs> so I didn't want to play in, so that worked out. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it was a little less um, structured. And so you, it's, it also depended, I think, when in the season it was, how you were, you know, in terms of the, the pennant race. And we were not really in the pennant race or, yeah, so I think it was a little, it was a little easier to get two days and one day, but we were close enough where they said, Hey, you got to get back for that third game. I would have to imagine that in the pre paternity list era, it would be harder for a manager, a general manager, team president to say, yes, four of you can all go on the paternity list at once. Uh, just voluntarily deprive your team of four guys. Uh, but can you ever remember uh, Sean, uh, that many players uh, leaving the team for the birth of a child at once? No. I've never, I've never heard anything like that. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty bizarre, actually, and it's kind of crazy to have such, you know, kind of crucial, crucial players, members, you know, in different roles um, that were gone at the same time. Yeah, um, that's that's what's even even more bizarre. But I, yeah, I, I can't think of anyone, any team having a handful of players. I, I think you can flip it around and say. In some ways, it's an opportunity to to get some guys from AAA to come in and and sort of get a little little cup of coffee and see what they can do. Um, so I think that's you know kind of the bright side, and it's early enough in the year where, where you're not in a panic. But you know, if this happens in middle of September or something like that, it, you know, it's, it's neck and neck in a pennant race. That's you know the time you can't you can't control Mother Nature when the babies are going to come. Sure, sure. You, you well, can kind of manipulate it a little bit, I guess. But <laughs> Well, clearly the Dodgers uh, were not paying any caution uh, because not only were the four aforementioned guys all going on paternity list at roughly the same time, uh, one of the coaches, Pete Montero, welcomed a son into the world in the last week, according to his Instagram. And I don't know how many of those minor leaguers that got called up are, are we're, we're going to see back because Yanni Hernandez, Luke Williams, even Michael Bush – uh, sometimes you can struggle in that cup of coffee and, and you might not get a second. So uh, Godspeed to them. Hopefully they'll be back uh, better than ever. Uh, but it was a short paternity list induced cup of coffee for those guys. And you can see the difference in the team. They're liable to put up 10 runs any, on any given night now, it seems. Yeah, no, they're, they're playing well. And you want to take advantage of it before the baby starts the babies start keeping them up at night, right? That's, that was always a hard thing, actually, you don't really think about. But um, it's, you know, you're, fortunately, I think most baseball wives are, are pretty good. Guys have resources to maybe get a little extra help or whatever. But it's, 
it's definitely um, a factor when the sleep is disrupted at home, even if you're not the one, you know, having to, to always do the, the middle of the night work, the feedings, whatever it is, it's still disrupted. And um, you still have a whole other human now that you're thinking about, worried about. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's something that, that changes things. It's probably a little bit more disruptive the first kid you have because it's, it's a whole new world. But, um, you know, every, every time you have a kid, it, it changes the game. Well, if Max Muncy and Mookie Betts were doing what they were doing on this homestand without a good night's sleep, I can't wait to see what they do on this road trip. <laughs> right. I know, I know. I mean, Max has been on fire. So, uh, oh my goodness. You know, we'll see. We'll see how that. Hopefully, that continues on. But um, no, it's it's been it's definitely been an exciting offensive team this year. I mean, they you know it's, it's a new look to the to the lineup, but you know guys are are stepping up and getting getting the job done, and that's why they're able to put up these runs. And you get Max already got 12 home runs. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know what his pace is, but we're we're talking about extrapolating out you know numbers, and his would be pretty uh, pretty close to Barry's record, I'd imagine, if you if you start to to extrapolate that out for a full season. Yeah, if you don't count the games he missed, you, you're right. He's right on pace for around 72. So um, who knows? We'll see. I, I, I don't think he'll get there. But for a guy who's had <laughs> some elbow injuries in the past couple seasons, just to show that he's capable of that even for a month uh, has to be really encouraging for the Dodgers because sometimes it just felt like they were forcing him in the middle of the lineup and he just didn't have the power to really justify the spot. And the lineup was deeper last year, obviously, but this year they, they really need him to be not just a threat to draw a free pass, but also to hit the ball over the fence, and he's been coming through. He has. And, and injury or no injury, it's, it's really tough to kind of change your expectations of the hitter. Like you struggle for you know a couple years for whatever reason, then – you know the bar. You're kind of bar what where you expect to be as a player. It it, it changes, and um, to kind of get it back up to that level that he was at prior to the injuries and even beyond that is um, is huge. Because now to start the season, you know he's not going to be pressing to hit home runs. He's um, he's not going to be searching you know, to start the season. He's in such a good place that it really sets the tone for you know, what I would expect, you know, assuming he could stay healthy, you know, knock on wood to be a, a pretty special year for him and, and for the team. Well, a uh, pretty special day for Max Muncy on Wednesday with a walk-off grand slam to complete the sweep of the Phillies, complete the sweep of the homestand. And, and hopefully he can pick up where he left off in San Diego. Uh, Sean, thanks as always for joining me. This should be a fun series and a fun little stretch of games here for the Dodgers now that they're, getting hot yeah it'll be a fun one to watch for sure and, and hopefully it'll set the tone for the rivalry that has been reinvigorated over the last couple seasons absolutely all right sean thanks as always for joining me thanks jp all right that'll do it for this week enjoy this weekend in san diego if you are there Enjoy this weekend from the comfort of wherever you are. Sunny days above, hopefully sunny days for the Dodgers. See if they can keep it going. 
be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.